Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm happy with the divorce because I wouldn't have done the things I've done. I wouldn't have had these miracles happen. I wouldn't have gone to India. I wouldn't have met the people I've done. I feel happy, but I feel, I feel angry about the fact, it's just anger, I suppose, that I've lost the family and that they don't believe me. That's what I feel. I feel, so on the, on the one hand, I'm free and I'm able to do all these things, but on the other hand, I feel let down. That they could think they would not believe what I'm saying. Why do they, why do they not believe? How, how can you make up a story? I'm not a storyteller. How can I make up, make up stories like that? How can I... No. And when I divorced, did I tell you that? I don't know whether I told you that. One friend said to me, when she, and this was like um, his best friend's wife, she said to me, uh, I'm not surprised you're getting divorced. She said, I thought, we thought you were divorced 20 years ago. We knew what he was doing to you. Why didn't you say something? And afterwards I thought, well, I never said anything again because I, did, I didn't talk in those days. Afterwards I thought, well, why didn't somebody say something to me, you know? Why didn't they say to me, look, he shouldn't be treating you like this? Because he was obviously doing it in front of people. Why didn't they say, look, don't take it. Why are you taking it? That's why, I suppose, I don't want to stand back and let my granddaughter take it, what she's taking. And this man, this boy, Apparently, um, she was going out with a friend, and this friend, um, they were going to the gym together, having a, uh, and so on. And she said, she told her boyfriend because this friend is, is a male, he's male, but he's got a girlfriend. But he, he wasn't happy about that. He's made her stop that. He's not, she's not allowed to do that. And he's always ringing her up and chasing her, and texting her to see where she is every time, every few minutes. Where are you? Are you? Uh, and so that's controlling, isn't it? So what is she going into? If he's doing that now, um, if she moves in, then what? And I think then it could be murder. You hear, you hear these stories where murder happens. And it's all right thinking it's not going to happen to you. Well, no, it happens to other, other people. But no, it could happen to you, couldn't it? And I suppose the boys don't believe uh, that's what they probably think about that. I'd, no, 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 no. It's not happened in our family, but it has happened in our family. It has happened. I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. Leslie Plummer of England reached out to Love Fraud because she is concerned about her granddaughter. The younger woman is a university student just starting out in life. She is romantically involved with a controller. Leslie knows what that is like because she was married to a sociopath for 35 years. Leslie never told anyone about her husband's behavior. In fact, she never understood for all those years that she was being abused. But after her divorce, Leslie learned about sociopaths 
and realized that her ex-husband checked all the boxes. He's dead now. Still, because Leslie never spoke about it, her sons don't believe her and her granddaughter doesn't know what she went through. Leslie doesn't want her granddaughter to waste her own life with a disordered partner. So now she's telling her story. I was in the car yesterday and um, I was, I thought, it came to my head, look, I've got to do this. You know, I've got to tell my story. And um, I, and I was, and um, Doris Parton's song came on. Um, it's your time. It's your, yeah, this is your time. It's your time. It's your time. So I thought, okay, maybe this is a sign. Okay, it's my time. I've got to tell it, you see. Leslie is now 84 years old and living in England. She was born in India of English parents in 1939. As a child, Leslie went to boarding school in both India and the UK. After completing her primary schooling, she went to secretarial school in India. Then a fabulous opportunity came her way. Leslie got a chance to work on a movie set as a stand-in for an American actress, Barbara Rush. By chance, we heard that Stuart Granger, who uh, was a fa- very famous film star, was coming to our area, and they were looking for they were looking for stand-ins, stand-in in the films. So I applied, and I went and was interviewed by um, Lord Braybourne in the Maharaja's Palace, and they said, "Yes, go away, come back. We'll send you a taxi in three days." And, told me what clothes to bring and I, I they came and picked me up and I went into the jungle for six weeks working on with these uh, the crew and these film stars <laughs> uh, Barbara Rush was one of them and I think she was from America Barbara Rush she was she was I was a stand-in for her Leslie returned to the UK when she was 19 and started working for an accounting firm a few years later she went with a friend to a dance at a rugby club that's where she met Gary a short, stocky rugby player from Austria. Gary and Leslie started going out. He treated her well and paid for their dates. In 1963, when Leslie was 24, they married. Gary was a Jewish child during World War II. He suffered terrible trauma, but Leslie never heard much about what happened. Yeah, he wouldn't really talk. He just told me once. Whenever I mentioned it again, he wouldn't tell me. He wouldn't tell me anything about it. So we, we, didn't, we couldn't talk about it. But it was that he'd, I know that he'd got shot in the, in the bottom while he was trying to escape. He and his mother were trying to escape. His mother came, his father, and they were separated and his father came to England. And his mother ended up in a, a concentration camp with him. And that's where his mother met her guard. Her guard was a French French um, man, and um, they subsequently did marry and have two children. And so at some point, my ex came over to England. He was 12, I think, when he came over to England, but he had witnessed, he had, he had witnessed things that he should, as a child, he shouldn't have done. He had witnessed death, he'd wish, and he, he said that he ate out of bins, you know, his mother and his um, grandparents would send him off to take food from the dead bodies and things like that. So he's obviously had a traumatic childhood, which could have account for why he, you know, he became a sociopath. Leslie had no reason to doubt Gary's story. He didn't have a concentration camp tattoo, 
But then, not all prisoners were tattooed. Gary's family had been wealthy in Austria. His father had been in the jewelry business and brought artifacts with him to England. Still, Gary never talked about his Jewish heritage, nor described his experiences. We just touched on it. And in fact, in our marriage, he never went into detail over anything. In fact, we never had a discussion, discussion about anything. When I look back, we never, ever talked. We never talked about the children. We never, nothing, nothing. I was shut down all the time. I was put in a place. You know, if I, and, and in the end, I just got to when we'd, we'd go for weeks without talking. Gary's behavior towards her changed as soon as they were married which is common for sociopaths. Once the target has signed on the dotted line, the sociopath has won and no longer needs to be nice. So how did Gary treat his new wife? Not good, because then it started, you know, the sniping and whatever. I remember he bought, a, we needed a Hoover and he brought a Hoover one day home and I was so excited about cleaning, you know, Hoover's uh, vacuum cleaner. I wanted to use it and then he snapped, put me down, don't do it now. You know, it was all stuck. Oh, okay. You know, little things like that. And I'd have plants in the house and he'd say he didn't like the plants. Complained about me having plants in the house. He started complaining about everything he did. He was ill and, and I caught his illness and then he complained that I was, I was sick, you know. And then, um, like, there was a spider, little things like a spider on the stairs. And, and when I saw it, it was, he was angry, and I cleared it away. You know, I had to deal with everything. But he, he, normally a man would, you know, he would be the gentleman and go and remove it, wouldn't he? If there were things like that going on. And, all, and to be continually told that if I didn't give him a boy, he would divorce me. And then other things, all through my, my marriage, if you don't do this, I'll divorce you. Don't do that, I'll divorce you. That continued throughout the marriage. And then when the first child came along, it he didn't help choose a name. You didn't discuss the naming the child, nothing. I did that. The first child was a boy, which was supposedly what Gary wanted. The marriage did not improve. Leslie felt badly about how her husband was treating her, but she had nothing to compare it to. This was the 1960s, and she did not realize that he should not have behaved the way he did. So she felt like all she could do was keep her head down and carry on. And then, so I was going more and more into myself because he was saying, uh, making me feel it was my fault. And with me, not with having me having, I wasn't a person of the world. I'd been to boarding school, you know, I'd never mixed with boys. I was a, it was girls' school that I went to. And um, it was all, all a bit of a shock and new to me, and I ever stood up for myself. Never, ever did I answer back. Never, ever did I answer him back or stand up for myself. Whenever he put me down in front of people, it would always be in front of people, and I would never say anything. Leslie was 28 when their first son was born. Gary showed little interest in him. Then. She became pregnant again. Then I became pr- pregnant with my second child, and he, and he said, well, can't you get rid of it? And I just ignored it again. We didn't talk for the whole of the nine months. And again, when I, I had the baby and I named it, well, in fact, the nurses helped me choose the name. And, um, but I never thought, I, at the time, it never occurred to me that this was odd. This was odd behavior. I never thought. 
that it was odd. And of course, now I look back and I see how other people behave. I think, God, well, it's not normal, you know. And then I and then I had a miscarriage when I never told him about the miscarriage. Never told him, didn't ever know that I'd had a miscarriage. And then I had a, 10 years later, after the first child, I had another son, three sons I've had. And he, and again, it was, he never chose a name. Nothing, never asked questions. When I went into labour, it took me into hospital and went home and came and picked me up. And that was it. Go home and uh, you know, carry on with duties. It wasn't, he wasn't happy to see the children. He didn't take photographs of us, you know, mum and son. In fact, all th throughout my life on Mother's Day, he would never buy me a, a gift for Mother's Day because he said, well, you're not my mother. So then that was that. The entire time the children were growing up, their father showed no interest in them. When he did talk to his sons, he was dismissive and critical. Looking back now, Leslie can't explain her own lack of reaction. I think, why didn't I feel? Because I was always, I, I was in, I don't know whether I was in fear. Of it. I don't know what it was, because, I mean, he would do things like, we were coming back from the beach, my son, I got set and was walking my second son, and we were going across the Pebbly car park, and I went to put his shoes on. And he said to me, no, don't put his shoes on, he needs to know to grow up. But he was only a toddler, he was two or three years old, you know. And, and I can't remember, I didn't answer him back. I never, ever spoke back to him, I couldn't. Another time, he took, a, took my, young, my young son out in a boat out, and they were going further and further. He would do things like that, reckless things, going further and further out in this little dinghy, and I couldn't see them. And then I saw them capsize, and my child, it was only three at the time, I went running to the rescue centre, saying, my son, my son, and my baby's out there, go and fetch him. And when they rushed the boat out, rescue boat, to go and get them, and he He'd handed, my ex had handed the boy, my boy, over to a 10-year-old boy in another boat. They had the little, little boats for 10-year-olds, 10, 12-year-olds. 10, I just handed it over, him over to him and said, oh, take him back ashore. Well, when he came back, I never said a word again. What was the point? Because whatever I said, he would, he wouldn't, he, you know, he put me down. So I didn't say anything. And all he said to me was, well, he was quite safe and I didn't answer. I didn't answer, so he must have known that I was upset. I didn't answer, though. I didn't say anything. I didn't argue because you don't want to do that in front of the children. You don't, you don't have fights. I never had a fight with him. I never shouted at him. And he, he beat one of the dogs up, my dog up with a big broom. The dog couldn't move for three days, but I didn't say anything to him. I just accepted it all. So that's odd, isn't it? Why did I accept it? Without, without shouting at him. Gary had absolutely no empathy for the family pets, the children, or for Leslie. If we went to a party, I wouldn't stand with him because he would always put me down in front of people. I kept away from them. I remember getting... And then I got ill. I nearly died after an operation. I had an operation and I did... Well, they said they, they had to rest, rush me back to theatre and... And, um, and the surgeon came back at the end of the day and he said, we're really worried about you. And the story went all around the hospital that, they, you know, I'd nearly died. But he didn't even ask me how it was. I, I wasn't allowed any visitors except for him. I was no visitors for five days, kept in the dark. And he didn't once say, well, how are you? What have you had done? Nothing. He didn't ask me, so I didn't, we didn't speak. He just came in and told me what was day at work. And... 
That's how it was. Leslie worked through the entire marriage, often earning more money than her husband did. Gary didn't want the children to interfere with the money that she was bringing in. Look, I worked when I was married, I was working, I was earning more than him. When I had the children, well, in those days, you didn't work. You, you, when you had the children, you stopped working. You stayed at home and looked after the children. We didn't put children into nursery, a nursery, and I didn't have a mother who would look after me. I just stopped working, but I would do things at home. I would do things like um, if I was able to go and sell, I was selling toys. I was, um, I, he, had a, he was in business now with somebody. I, I'd go to the factory and, and take the children with me. And they'd be locked in an office while I was working on a machine. I remember once, I mean, when you've got a toddler and, and a baby, you can't do things quickly. They won't just gobble the food down. They won't take a bottle quickly. And he'd be ringing me up from the factory. Where are you? Where are you? He didn't care. He, he didn't, didn't think about, I've got two children to look after and get ready and feed before I could go down to the factory. I can remember once... It was cold, snowing. I got, my children were ill. At the, they used to have tonsillitis, so I was either the, the doctors taking them because they were ill or at the doctors to check if they were okay. And the next week I was back because they were ill again. And then I remember the doctor said to me once, I don't no need to turn around. I can hear who it is, who you, who's coming because you can hear the breathing of the children. See, And one day when the children were ill and it was snowing and cold and icy out, I rang him up to see if he'd bring something home on the way from work pick up something from the shops. He shouted at me so much. I never, ever, ever asked him to do anything for me again. Never asked him to do anything for me again. Was there anything positive about her husband? Gary did have the ability to tell a joke, and he made Leslie laugh. That was perhaps his only redeeming quality. His negative traits were many. Besides being disrespectful to his wife, Gary also had bad manners, worse than the children. And he was cheap. At the pub, he was happy to let others pay for him, but he would never reciprocate and pay for them. Finally, after 35 years, Leslie was tired of him and their empty marriage. I said I want a divorce because he was always saying to me, I'm divorcing you, I'm divorcing you, I'm going to divorce you, divorce you. And then one day he was sniping and sniping and sniping. Oh, it was continue. It got to be continual sniping. Two of my children had left by then and leading their own lives. And I still got one at home. And I think one day I just got that fed up. I went and moved into another bedroom. And he opened the door and he said, What are you doing? What do you want? And I said, A divorce. And then that was it. That was the end, you see. And um, then I started, uh, he said, I began to stand up for myself. And he said to me, he couldn't believe it. He said, have you been to assertive classes? <laughs> he couldn't understand that suddenly, after 35 years, I'd had enough. At this point, Leslie was 59 years old and had endured decades of abuse. But because she had never complained about how Gary treated her, the family couldn't understand why she wanted a divorce. My sister-in-law said to me, my brother said to me, why are you leaving this lovely home? And I said, because there's no happiness here. I never told them what was going on. My sister-in-law said to me, um, Gary is devastated. We feel you've been influenced by your friends. And those were her words. Those were her last words to me. But I'd never told anybody. I'd never told anybody what was going on. 
Um, so I wasn't influenced by my friends. Suddenly I came, you know, saw the light. Gary immediately joined a dating site, even though they were both still living at home. Soon, strange women were calling, asking to speak to him. He was on a dating site or something, because then I was answering the phone. These people were ringing me up at home. I picked them up. They said, want to speak to Gary? Oh, yes, OK. I've had the phone over. He didn't care. He had no, you know, didn't no, no conscience. No conscience about anything. He could tell lies. He couldn't tell you the truth about how he crossed the road. Go from, it wouldn't be true. He couldn't tell you the truth. No one in Leslie's family took her side. Leslie's brothers believed Gary, not her. They believed she was at fault for the marriage ending. After the divorce, Leslie's middle son got married. By this time, Gary already had a new girlfriend, whom he brought to the event. For Leslie, the wedding was horrible. You know, my brother was there, family was there. I was like the black sheep, and nobody talked to me because they all thought I'd just divorce this wonderful, charming father and husband, you know. They didn't know what was going on. So I, I sobbed for days then. Why was Leslie upset? Nobody at the wedding would talk to her. She was seated at the head table, next to the bride's father. Eventually, everybody left the table, and she was sitting by herself. So anyway, once I'd done all that, and I was getting more and more agitated, and they cut the cake, and I thought, well, what's the point of staying here? My brother was there with his wife and children. My sons were there. You know, nobody was bothering with me. They, they, so I went. I never went and went, went to see some friends and come, came home to my dogs. But um, so that was not very nice, I must admit. But then I've had miracles, you see. Once she was divorced, Leslie created a new life for herself. She thought about visiting India. Leslie learned about a pilgrimage. A group of people were going to see a spiritual leader who lived near Bangalore which was near where she grew up. She decided to go, thinking she might be able to see her first home. The trip turned out to be much more than a nostalgic visit. I go on a trip with a pilgrimage trip with a group of people to see, to see this particular person. I didn't know anything about the person and, it's, and it's, uh, what he did, what, nothing about him. But I thought, well, he lives near Bangalore, I'll go because maybe I'll get to go and see my house, etc. That was it. I, I didn't I didn't want to travel on my own. I wasn't used to traveling on my own. I hadn't got the confidence. But if I went with a group of people, and that's what I did. The first time I saw this person who I knew nothing about, I saw his aura, I saw this bright light around him. And I thought everybody could see it. So I said to my roommate, did you see, did you see that? And she said, no, no. I took a photo of my room, in my room, and a candle has appeared on my photo. And I've got that, I've had it made bigger and enlarged and everything, because that, that is proof. A candle has appeared on my photo. And um, I took it to a photographer in Leicester just to say, look, is there a fault with my camera? Is there, you know, has water got in to do this? He said, no, no. He said, it's a miracle. He confirmed it. It's a miracle. So I know. I know in all this, all that I've been through, I'm being looked after. Leslie never got involved in another relationship. She didn't trust men. Still, 
her brothers wanted her to have a cordial relationship with her ex-husband. My brothers wanted me to, wanted to be friendly with my ex and friendly with me. And they did, but they didn't, and they never came to see if I was okay. They never asked if I was managing. They never, they never, um, my brother, one lived in America, but they came over once and my, my young, my middle son arranged a meeting in the end. He said, your brothers want to meet you. Will you meet them? Will you meet them? And I said, well, okay. So he booked a book. They booked a lunch in a, in a village. So I went and they, my son and wife and, and my granddaughter was like three then. She was only young. She was three. They came as well. But my brothers had their two wives there and they never said, they never spoke. We went to a pub and had lunch and they never said, how are you doing? Are you okay? Is any, are, you, are you managing all right? Nothing. They said nothing. And we went back afterwards to the pub and I thought, well, there's no point in me staying here. I'm going. I went, went home. So I went to my eldest son's house and said, oh, I've, I've told him what had happened. And he said, mum, he said, dad was there the night before with his girlfriend. They stayed and they had a meal at night. They stayed in the pub together. They had a meal and a party, a party. and then they had breakfast together. And then they left in the morning so they could see they knew you were coming. And, and then, well, that, that finishes off for me. I thought, well, okay, I'm keeping, out. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping away now. And, and I never did see them again, except at um, one, one child's wedding. Went to the wedding and my brother that was there from America. And we didn't speak, but I did go up to him. When I shook hands when I left, I thought, I thought well, this might be the last chance. I get to speak, be with him. And it was the last chance. I never saw him again. I just went and said goodbye and shook his hand, but I didn't see him again. But they, they didn't believe, see, they didn't, they wouldn't have believed. And at that time, I wasn't sure that I was right. Yeah, I suppose that was it. I wasn't confident that I was right. I still thought that I was one in the wrong with all these things happening. I thought it was me, still me. I couldn't understand even though Leslie was the one who'd been abused through 35 years of marriage, she still thought it was her fault. Eventually, Leslie got a job in a mental health hospital doing administrative work, where she became aware of personality disorders. Researching in the hospital library, she realized that her ex-husband ticked all the boxes on a sociopath checklist. The knowledge meant that in leaving him, she'd made the right decision. Still, her family situation did not change. He's got the problem, but what can I do? You know, if I went to my brothers and said, look, this is a situation, they wouldn't believe me because he's already said, told them things about me. Probably I don't know what he's told them. They think if he's saying I'm mental and I'm saying he's mental, who's right? Who are they going to believe? See? So uh, I've just left it. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't fight. I just kept away. I've just kept away. And both brothers have now died. They both, they both died now. Leslie spent 35 years, most of her adult life, with a disordered husband. She has three sons, five grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. She doesn't know what her ex-husband, Gary, said to her brothers, but in the end, they sided with him. Two of her three adult sons believe that their parents had a good marriage and Leslie ruined it. 
none of her family members seemed to care about what she went through. Still, Leslie has reflected upon her experience, and she feels fortunate. I said to one of my children the other day, and then afterwards I thought about it, because this is the one who doesn't believe me, thinks I've had a good marriage. I said, well, I've been very blessed. I've been very blessed in my life with my things that have happened, but, but I wasn't blessed with the marriage. But you see, there's another way of looking at things, because I believe in so many different things. I've, I've been on a, a long journey, and a spiritual journey, and I've I've learned a lot of things on this journey. And one of the things I've, I've read about, oh yes, um, is that before we come to Earth, we choose our experiences. We decide, I want to do this, I want to do that, I'd like this experience, I want to uh, be with a man who abuses me, etc. you see. And then you go wrong to people up there, souls up there and say, look, I'm going to Earth and I want to learn this. Will you come down with, and be my, you know, abuser and they say oh no 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 we couldn't do that to you go, go and ask somebody else so you go around until you find somebody a soul group who say yes we love you dearly we've been with you we've known you for acorns of time we will come to earth and we will do this you see so you come and you have this experience now i'll tell you why i i believe it because three days before my ex died I had a dream about him. I've not dreamt about him all the time I've been divorced, but I had a dream. And in this dream, he was really being horrible to me. And um, after he died, I had a dream where we were on a motorbike together and my shoe fell off and he went back to get my shoe. Well, he really never, ever done anything for me. He never lifted a thing. He wouldn't, see. So this was unusual, but here was somebody who was, went back to pick my shoe up and I was on a motorbike well a motorbike and I talked to somebody a motorbike is freedom so I think now he's had he's got his freedom maybe if this if this is true you know we agreed that he would come to earth and give me this experience so maybe he's a lovely soul really I've asked for this he's a lovely soul and to think and he's probably up there now thinking oh my goodness did I really behave like that towards her no. Did I really do that? Was that me? It's probably cringing at that fact, you see. So if that's another way of looking at it. So I do sometimes look at it like that, and I think, well, that's what I've asked for. And um, he's free now, and I should really be free. But I'm, I'm, but I've got this thing round my neck about my granddaughter, you know, and that's what I'm concerned about. What advice does Leslie have for her granddaughter, or for that matter? anyone who's being targeted by a sociopath. Don't go, don't do it. Get out. And that's what, if somebody come to me, but would I have listened? Yeah. You see, would I have listened to them at that age? But my, grand, my grandchildren don't know about their granddad. They don't know that, you know, how he's behaved. They know, know none of his story. So I would say that, um, get, don't do it don't do it but if it's their destiny to do it maybe they will still do it I don't know if it's your destiny yeah that's a difficult one isn't it it's a difficult one because another thing I believe in because my teachers said this everything is in order nothing happens without the will of God nothing happens it's all in order whatever happens is in order so I think well is it an order is that an order <laughs> you know but can you interfere can you interfere and stop something happening if it's in order to happen? I don't know. 
or maybe it's in order in order to interfere. It's complicated, isn't it? It's complicated. What do you think about that? Life is life is a challenge, isn't it? I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. I invite you to listen to expert commentary related to this story. I interview Dr. Denise McDermott, an adult and child psychiatrist. We talk about possible deeper lessons in the experience of an abusive relationship. To listen to this story ad-free, please subscribe to True Love Fraud Stories. As a subscriber, you'll be invited to Love Fraud Live, my informal support group. I do a short presentation about sociopaths and narcissists, and then answer your questions. I'll need you to think about whether or not you want to be identified. And um, so maybe you want to um, give that some thought and, um, and let me know. I've either got to be a coward and not be identified, or I've got to stand up for myself and be identified. If I can't, the way I look at it is, I can't be saying I'm telling the truth, but not want people to know it. There's another way of looking at it, isn't it? I can't say I'm telling the truth, but I don't really want them to know. But otherwise, why am I telling it, the story? I've got to tell it because I've got want the truth to be known. And if they don't believe me, that's tough. I've got to look at That's the way I've got to look at it, I think. Am I, am I right? Do you think I'm being right? Well, um, I mean, you're, a couple of your sons don't believe it now. So <laughs> would anything yeah. change? No, but, but it wouldn't change. But it might make them, it might, might make them see where they're where they're wrong it might make them look at it differently that's what i'm doing it for i have to take that risk i i'm at the moment i'm thinking i've got to take that risk because what if i what if i i've got them coming here really putting they're putting me down even now the book um. the, these two boys they are putting me down um so I've got to be brave enough to tell them. That's where I'm feeling at the moment. I've got to be brave enough to say, hey, this is true. I'm telling you. I'm telling the world. That's what I've got to do. True Love Fraud Stories is produced by lovefraud.com. For more information about this story, other great stories, Or if you'd like to share your story, visit podcasts.lovefraud.com. Engineering is by Terry Kelly. To learn how to recognize and recover from everyday sociopaths, visit lovefraud.com. You'll find articles, books, and webinars. You can also book an appointment with me, Donna Anderson, for a personal consultation.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.